0: How does someone become a pop star these days? One day they're nobody, the next day they're on every radio station in the world. That big break from that major commercial label. How does that happen? Now, these days, working your ass off on the independent scene, writing songs until a song sticks, playing shows until one day a talent scout finds you and then harnesses your talent until something grows and then, you know, a career is born. Those days are gone. That's not how commercial music works anymore. The music you hear on top 40 radio is becoming more and more generic. Copy-paste songs from copy-paste songwriting teams. Is it because there are only 12 notes in the western music and we've already thought of all the ideas? Nah. That's not it. I'm going to tell you how it got this way, but first I'm going to take you on a little journey. The date was January 15th, 1889. The US president was some guy named Benjamin Harrison. The first automobile was only two years old. The Eiffel Tower in Paris was still being built. And while all of this was happening, a man by the name of Edward D. Easton was busy founding the first ever record label, Columbia Records. You've probably heard of it. Easton was a smart man, but he probably had no idea at the time. His idea of an umbrella group to mass sell recorded music would shape the rest of music history. Columbia Records is still around to this day. In name, anyway. See, over the decades, countless labels of all sizes popped up. Some were major business, some were local identities serving a local audience. But in today's increasingly connected world, there are just three major labels and they control 80% of all commercial music. Universal, Sony, Warner. These three companies control what the majority of people listen to. That's why commercial music has lost its creativity. This is the Sound Age. I'm sorry, I just can't. Get... You've got a lot of things to say, why don't you just say I didn't mean to be The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. You know, it's easy to think of commercial record labels these days as corporate, money-driven companies far removed from the art of music, I'm not going to judge that opinion, I agree with you. But that wasn't always the way. You see, originally labels were bound by a sound or a location. They had an identity themselves. Labels created scenes and movements. Take Motown Records for example. Motown played a huge role in the racial integration of commercial music in America. It focused on African-American soul artists and harnessed them for commercial success. In its first decade in existence, Motown scored 79 top 10 records in the US. People now speak of Motown as a genre of music, an identifiable sound. An independently owned label from Detroit had created an influencing sound for musicians all around the world until this day. Are Motown still around? Sort of. See, they were bought out by MCA Records and then sold to Polygram Records, and in 1999 Universal bought Polygram Records, absorbing Motown Records in the sale. Now let's look at Philadelphia International Records, far less famous than Motown, sure, but it was a driving force in R&B, pop and soul throughout the 70s. In that decade alone, the label had produced 170 cold albums. The founders Kenneth Gamble and Leon Huff were so important to music they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, the label never matched their 70s successes again and in 2007 Sony Music had acquired all the rights to their extensive back catalogue of music. Philadelphia International is now a defunct label. One of the biggest names in music in the 80s was called Def Jam Records, a skinny long-haired rocker by the name of Rick Rubin. He took hip-hop to some of its greatest heights. Run DMC, Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, Public Enemy, they all found their fame through Def Jam. Countless musicians have made careers in the decades since after being directly influenced by the sound that Def Jam had popularized. But the label again was sold to Polygram in 1994, and like Motown, It was absorbed into Universal Music Group in the late 90s. Def Jam actually survives today, but as a sub-label, controlled by Universal. Do you see a pattern emerging here? We can go on. Geffen Records, responsible for making careers for Guns N' Roses, Elton John, Kylie Minogue and Whitesnake, that was acquired by Universal in 1990. Electra Records, who brought us The Stooges, MC5 and The Doors, that ended up being owned by Warner. Atlantic Records, with hits spanning five decades in pop, disco and rock genres, also ended up under the banner of Warner Records. The record label that Edward D. Easton started way back in 1889, Columbia Records, with all its rich history, a century worth of artists and influence on music as we know it, yeah, 99 years after its birth, in 1998, the label, along with all its assets, was sold to Sony. By the 2000s, there were four major labels, and by 2012, it was just three. EMI Records, the fourth major label, was broken up and acquired by Universal and Warner. Now, a lot of these major independent labels continue to have a role in music. It wasn't all doom and gloom. But now, there was a glass ceiling, a parent company, puppeteering commercial music. Labels under the banner of one of these big three labels may still work sort of independently, they still have the ability to sign their own talent, but they're under the constant pressure to reach increasing profit margins. The label's very existence relies solely on its ability to meet financial targets. If they don't make enough money, the label will simply be shut down by their corporate overlords. Where once a label like Def Jam would take a bunch of weirdos like the Beastie Boys based purely on talent and then use the label's connections to grow the band's profile, now they don't even consider the talent. They only sign artists that'll make them money. Do you remember the talent shows that took over the TV screens in the early 2000s and still go on today? Yeah, I'm talking Idol, X Factor, The Voice, harmless evening entertainment on your TV, yeah? Not quite. These TV shows were largely funded by labels. The winning contestant of Idol would be signed to Sony. If you win X Factor, you're signed to Columbia, which as you know now, is part of Sony. The winners of The Voice, they're signed to Universal. What's happening here is the major labels are removing the risk of scouting and harnessing talent. The TV shows now do the scouting, and because these shows are a commercial TV success, regardless of the music that comes later, the label still makes the profit. No longer did the labels have to suck up to radio curators or try to score a spot on some variety TV program. It's the talent show that now serves as the national publicity for the artist. By the way, the top 12 all have to sign an agreement before the TV show goes to air, basically locking them into a contract. Look, it's ingenious from the labels. Take completely green musicians, lock them into subpar contracts and then use them as entertainment on nighttime TV, make profit off that TV show's ratings, then consider the TV show as the artist's promotion, so most likely, all the costs involved with production of the TV show get lumped onto the artist's debt under the guise of artist promo. It doesn't matter if the winning artist is a success or not, the label has already made a profit. And that's what these major labels care about in the end. It's just business to create money. Take Casey Donovan for example, winner of the second season of Australian Idol. It was the highest rating TV show on TV that year, and yet despite that, Sony dropped Casey Donovan just over a year after her debut album. An artist who has the exposure to hundreds of thousands of people through commercial television and the opportunities that arise out of this is seen as dispensable in just one year. There's no long-term vision, there's no artistic path to take. The album its not a creative journey, it's just a product to exploit. A record label becomes rich, Casey Donovan went on to be an Uber driver. It took her well over a decade. Just to get her music career back on track as an independent artist. This was the early 2000s. The CD bubble had just burst. Sales were declining rapidly, music piracy was at its heights, labels had to change in order to stay afloat, so, you know, credit where credit is due. If nothing else, it was innovative. But it came at the cost of not finding new established talent. Labels used to watch talent grow independently before plucking them at the right time after they learnt the trade of music. All of a sudden, the new major label signees were given 12 weeks of TV time to win over fans. Many of the contestants had never written a song before. They'd never fought their way through 15 hour long days on tour for 6 months at a time. They didn't know how to conduct themselves in a studio or even in an interview for that matter. They had to learn all of these talents while in the spotlight and the result was, yeah, very good singers, but there's no way that all these amateur singers could just transition into fame that easy. The radio was filled with competition winners, singing songs written for them by a team of label-hired writers. Disposable music, while career musicians who had applied their trade on the independent scene, the type of musicians who truly create evolution in songwriting, they would be left there on the local independent circuit, never to see major label or commercial success. And then streaming happened. Now, I talk a lot about streaming on this podcast, and there's a reason for it. It changed everything. Sometimes for the best, sometimes, you know, not so. And the major labels, they had to change as well. You know, for all the complaining that labels do about the loss of sales thanks to Spotify, the truth is streaming created a new lifeblood for the big three labels. See, remember all those old labels from the 60s and 70s that Sony, Warner and Universal bought up? They came with back catalogs full of thousands of artists. This means the big three own the market share of the entire history of commercial music. One hit wonders from the 70s, How many CD sales would they have generated in the early 2000s? Next to nothing, really. All of a sudden, thanks to streaming, these old fossils began generating profits again through royalties. Every time you stream a song, the owners of the mechanical rights make money. So now the labels new plan was to buy up whatever mechanical rights they could get their hands on. This was a new boom for these labels, a boom that continues to this day. Just recently, Sony bought up the rights to Bruce Springsteen's entire back catalogue for a cool calm half a billion dollars. You know, Every time you hear born in the USA on radio or hear I'm on fire appear here in a movie or a TV ad, that revenue now goes to Sony. And on top of that, the 5 million streams over all the streaming services that Bruce Springsteen's songs receive every single day, it's all just more revenue. Do you want to break that down? Let's average the royalties from streaming alone at, you know, 0.004 cents a stream. That's $20,000 per day generated, or more than $7 million in royalties every year for at least 75 years after Bruce Springsteen's death. That's just streaming. No radio, no sync deals, just streaming. Now can you see why labels with big back catalogs secretly love streaming services? And to be fair, this boom in revenue in the early 2000s did create a boom in new stars from the ground up. You know, Katy Perry worked her way up to success. She was singing backing vocals on everyone's albums from Mick Jagger to P.O.D. She was touring and making a name for herself before she got her break. Lady Gaga has a similar rise, You know, playing club shows and taking whatever music work she could until a talent scout found her and set her on her way. You know, it was almost like the music industry was balancing out again, resetting itself almost. Huge money was flowing in, new pop stars on commercial radio based on talent and hard work. But by now, the big three were less about making music, they're more about making as much money as humanly possible. See, regardless of the pop successes of the late 2000s, the sheer act of scouting a talent based on talent and then working them into commercial success It's still a risk, for every Katy Perry or Lady Gaga, there were unknown numbers of unknown talented musicians who got a chance, never made it, costing these labels money. And this is where musical creativity was finally completely removed from the process of making a pop star. Sony, Universal, Warner, and in turn, all their sub-labels implemented new techniques for determining who gets signed this definitely didn't include talent scouts. Instead, they use AI software, programs that scour the internet for trends. This isn't as simple as signing the artist with the most views or followers. It goes much further, it's algorithm-based, it looks for everything, Google searches, hashtags, seven-day trends, month-long trends, loyalty of fans on multiple platforms, how often your fans talk about the artist on their own social media. And this is where music is today. You know, to be looked at by commercial labels, you need millions of people talking about you. How do you get those millions of people is up to you, but it doesn't even need to be about music. See, Instagram and TikTok influencers are the ones that get signed to majors now. Road musicians, they don't. Do you need hard work and knowledge of the industry? Of course not. The less you know about contracts, the better it is for the labels. Do you need to know how to sing? Of course not. We have auto-tune these days, everything is just processed through a machine. Do you need to have great songs? Of course not. They don't even care about the music. If the influencer had their own songs, they'd probably pull them apart anyway and make them sound like what the label perceives as sellable. The Label has masses of songwriters and producers spewing out sounds that are proven to generate income. Commercial music, the music that fills the airwaves, the music that kids are first introduced to, and a majority of people listen to because it's inescapable, is no longer a creative process. Sony, Universal, Warner. They run music on a global scale, and they don't even care about music. Turn off your radios, people. Thanks for listening to The Sound Age. The Sound.